Welcome to the Preach and Persuade podcast. My name is Sam Parada. I'm here with Dan Rudman, and we have a special guest. Don't have a lot of guests on this podcast. It's usually usually just Dan and I yapping away, but we decided to bring on John Stambaugh, and John is, well, he's kind of like in the family, I guess. He's Dan's son-in-law, so we didn't get a, a crazy special guest. We didn't go yeah. way out of our means to, to find some guy. He's pretty uh, close to us, so, um, but the way in which this discussion that we're going to have kind of came about dan you've you've been doing these uh these men's nights tuesday nights at your at your place this this fall Mm -hmm. and you had john do uh take one of the nights and Mm -hmm. discuss what's what he calls or what we're going to title this as the cosmic conflict yeah and it's john you've connected it to to manhood and Mm -hmm. and so this is going to kind of be connected to uh, a manhood discussion, but also just generally, I think, just what is what do we mean by this term, the cosmic conflict? Mm-hmm. And in a sense, it's a I think it's going to be a little bit of a biblical theology of mm-hmm. this warfare that's going on in a sense in the spiritual realm. Uh, when I think of the cosmic conflict, I think of like Ephesians six mm-hmm. with with Paul saying we don't you know war against flesh and blood, but by, you know, against the spiritual forces of the air or whatever. Um, Rulers, authority, spiritual. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, Dan, uh, just kind of, you know, introduce this a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Why do you think this is so vital? Yeah, this is one of those things that somebody might say, hey, you have a passion about this, because I get fired up about this, because I think if men understand this, and I think maybe we've said this on podcasts, but to realize that they're caught in 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 a crosshairs, they're caught in a war. Yeah. And to realize that when you're dealing with temptations or these ideas or growing out of being boyhood and becoming a man, we've touched on that in the last three or four podcasts. People can go and listen to those worthless men and David and crisis of masculinity. I think if guys would understand, like I, I can envision myself being at a men's conference, which I love, yeah. and beginning it with this discussion, saying, do you understand that there's a battle going on mm. and you're caught in the middle of it? And the reason that you struggle or have confronted, say, not going in and working hard, instead playing video games, we've talked about that, okay, or pornography or any of these things, is because there's a tactic, there is a battle going on, and if you could recognize that you're actually the target of this battle, and I would take you back to Genesis and talk about this from day one, Satan's goal was to take man and woman out, and, mm. and there's a specific target on the back of a man. And you see it play itself out. Yeah. So it's a battle to me. And if a guy could understand that, I think even there's something within a man realizing, no, you were made to fight this. Yeah. And in Christ, through the work of the Spirit in your life, you have the weapons and the tools to fight this. Yeah. See, that's how I want to couch this. So, you know, I've been doing the men's stuff for years. We've already talked about that. I've done, I don't know how many hunting retreats and fishing retreats, but it was never about the hunting and fishing per se. That was just a context to get a bunch of guys together to talk about this stuff. And so this fall, we're doing a context at my house where, you know, I put on a really cool meal for the guys. They watch me out there on the griddle or a can cooker, put out a bunch of food, and we eat food together. And we have a huge discussion about men, what's going on in our world. And then we're using Michael Foster's book as a context just to discuss some stuff. And then I have my 83-year-old friend, Alan, and my 73-year-old friend, Albert, who was a Navy SEAL back in the day. And, and you know, me, 63, and we're meeting with 20-year-olds. Yeah, yeah. And it's awesome. It's just awesome. And so to kind of begin the fall, I had John come in, because I've heard John do this at other men's groups. He developed a men's kind of gathering here in this area. 
a few years back had all these guys come and had me come and do some of these dis- biblical discussions I had, and I heard him do this presentation. Years ago. Yeah, well, say, what was that, be four, yeah. four years Three, ago? Three, yeah, four. Three, four, or five years ago, whatever it was. And I thought, I was like, wow, that's as good as I've ever heard that put, huh. personally. Yeah, Again, yeah. Maybe somebody else does, you know, it wasn't like he wrote a book or something. But I thought John did a fabulous job, and he pulled together all sorts of synthesized yeah. is the word. And it's biblical. I call it biblical theology, but yeah. and he can talk about that. But mm-hmm. some writings of C.S. Lewis, some stuff of Michael Heiser, just a lot of these kinds of ideas of this cosmic conflict in the Scripture. And he pulled it together, and then he even does men's retreats, and he can talk about that, yeah, yeah. where he brings guys together. And it's this frame, like think through this battle and how it's playing itself out in, in manhood, right, and then particularly in your life, right. And so I said, hey, let's have John on and just kind of give us the larger construct. And you could apply it to manhood. You could apply it to the ideologies of the day. You could apply a lot of stuff underneath this umbrella. Yeah. But mm-hmm. to realize that in the beginning, just think about this. I can tell you right now, it's so simple. You already said Ephesians six, but think of your Bibles, guys. Genesis, right? Satan comes in, deceives Eve, and there's a battle on. And right in the get go, right. There's going to be this battle of this one who's going to crush the head of Satan. Yep. And the whole scriptures are written in the context of, of warfare. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right to the end of the revelation, and the whole stinking thing is a Armageddon warfare, man. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, yeah. And yeah. there's something in the heart of men when they watch you know, a, yeah. a good war movie or something that stirs something. And you realize there's something bigger going on here. And God is often described as a warrior. Yeah, the there's something in this thing. Again, yeah. now you could oversell that, and people want to try to pretend they're macho. Or something. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying this is real. Yeah. And how do we think about it? So that was it. And I said, hey, let's have John on and give us his just his outline, just his summary of how he thinks about this. Yeah. So that's it. Yeah. Well, the baton yeah. is over to you now, John. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm purely here on grounds of nepotism. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. This be, is nepotism going on to be here. Clear, you can't tell his father-in-law no. I, yeah. <laughs> to be clear, this is only nepotism and nothing else. Yeah. I, I have no credentials to speak for. Yeah, right. I have yeah. no merit of my own accord, but I'm Dan's son-in-law. Yeah. And so, here I sit. So So can I tell you a little bit? Can I give you one story about his character, though? <laughs> Come on. He loves can this. I, can I? And you he cut it out if you story. need to, Sam. No, no. We're not going to cut it out. Go. Okay, so say, John calls me one day. I had known John a little bit, and I knew that he was hanging out with my daughter a little bit, doing some photography stuff. He does videography. She does photography weddings. So they'd cross paths, and I'd met him one time at a wedding. So I didn't really know him, but he calls me, hey, can we have coffee? Sure. So he sits me down. He says, okay. So I've been committed to the last whatever period of time, good period of time, at least a year or more, of not dating girls, of really concentrating on the Lord and thinking through these relationships with women. Yeah, and I I don't want to get into all his details of his conclusions, but at this point he he knows my daughter, but he's never like they're not dating, they're not this relationship thing. Yeah, yeah. And he sits at me first time we're sitting at coffee at a McDonald's in Lawrence, Kansas, and he looks at me. He says, "I'm in love with your daughter. I'm ready to marry her, and I want to know how long I have to date her <laughs> before you'll yeah. let me marry her." Yeah. <laughs> that was the question. Yeah. I'm like. Hmm. And my answer was, well, it sort of depends on what she thinks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I thought it fascinating. And of course, I said, you know, well, check it out with her and let's see where this goes. And of course, she <laughs> held him off for almost a year and a half, poor guy. And, uh, yeah. but they but started, he, they started, but he got a, her. You, they, you they started her. the exclusive relationship and, and it lasted a year and a half. And Elizabeth was very slow. That's her. She was going to be very careful. It was awesome. Yeah. Asked him to watch. But I'm just saying, can you imagine a dad sitting here? You know, I got four daughters, but this guy sits you down and says, never dated your daughter. Shoot straight. 
But this is where <laughs> this, the, I just want yeah. you to know where I'm coming from yeah. before I even pursue anything. Yeah. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's good. Well, I'll, I'll give you the, the secret of that is that when you become a Christian after having been raised as a Catholic, you start reading your Bible for the first time. Yeah. And well, when you start reading the first time, as an adult and you're asking the questions of what does all this stuff mean? You're just inclined to believe that it says what it means. Yeah. yeah. Or it means and what it so says. it means what it says. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so when I'm reading, I'm like, well, I've got as a man in Christ, I've got sisters and I've got mothers Yeah. and I've got wives. I don't, I don't, where are we getting this category from? Where does girlfriend come yeah. from? What is fiance? I don't right. even, these are, are these, what are these ideas that we're, that we're <laughs> importing in the text? I don't know. I don't get it. Like how is Christian dating fit into this? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I've got further developed thoughts now, but at the time I was genuinely confused. I was like, <laughs> I just, I cannot fathom where this fits in the picture of the scriptures. And I'm hearing all these friends who of course struggle sexually with their girlfriends or, or right. they have, you know, you've been dating for five years or whatever, and they might as well be married at that point in yep. terms of intimacy, you know, emotionally, things like that. And I was like, well, it follows logic that it's because it's not a, it's not a context of male female relationships that exists yep. in the scriptures. And I've got, I've got more thoughts on that. So now, later, one more of that. That's so, the so funny, a year and a half that's later, funny story. Finally, finally calls me. Well, she's finally ready for me to marry. Her. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I meet him again at the same place, McDonald's, McDonald's couple of ready to marry High me. class place. This is, yeah. this is hilarious. We're in the middle of September. And I said, okay, so what do you guys think? And he says, well, I think by the end of October would be good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I said, well, she's got a creative mom and sisters, and I think they're going to want to put together some kind of wedding. You better check with them how much time they need. So they they got married in the middle of, or almost the end of December. And so, yep. but it was funny. He was ready to marry like within a couple of weeks. Yeah. <laughs> Makes sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> I have. So it's been a fun relationship. Yeah. He and I have yeah. had a fun friendship relationship probably yeah. he would probably see it as some mentoring but it's been mutual to me i learned a yeah. bunch of yeah and that's why when i saw him do this i said dude i bet the rest of your life in your ministry this will play some role yeah in the wheelhouse of your life because it's so real to you and you've seen it play itself yeah. out so right so again even today that's why i said i could i could take his outline and do this but it wouldn't have the same you know i like to hear a man not just that he has something or you know he wants to say something but he has something to say yeah and i would say john has something to say about this because he's really chewed on this for a lot of years sure cool yeah yeah so by way of introduction i suppose then not just the nepotism component but and my lack of merit theologically uh without education formally but it would be i'm a full-time freelance videographer yep. primarily so camera camera stuff more broadly kind of generally but yeah that was the direction that the lord took my life and and i was excited and open to this um after a very short tenure in ministry as a very young believer, uh, needless to say, and unsurprisingly did not go well. And then leaving that kind of just went the professional route, but knew that at some point ministry would find its way back in. Yeah. And, and so just to, you know, become a, a layman student of the scriptures over this time and now have developed uh, a business in videography as freelance and doing some YouTube things and things like that. And over the years, just, yeah, been faithfully studying the scriptures as best as I know how without a formal education, though that's hopefully on the horizon. And 
I would say that where we're at today is the cumulative arrival of a handful of different topics over the years. And so what started as meeting my father-in-law and hearing him speak passionately about, I would say two topics that Dan was introducing to my thought life probably back in 2016, sometime around then. That, what year did you get married? We got Ten. married at the very end of 2018. 18, okay. So, so you know, probably towards years. the front end of 2016 is when, or mid-2016 is probably our first real conversations. Yeah. I came over to the house for a couple of meals, and, mm -hmm. you know, you'd talk about things. And it was Christian thinking and philosophy, sort of, uh, from the vein of Schaefer, yeah. which Schaefer was not a trained philosopher or anything. World, but, world but yeah, worldview world conversations right. and, and thinking through, you know, Christianly about these topics. And that was a new train of thought for me. And then at the same time was this idea of biblical manhood, biblical masculinity. Mm -hmm. And that one, uh, quite frankly, that did not maybe intrigue me quite as much. And maybe part of that is because I had grown up as an athlete, grown up in a rural small town, probably some of those things were just ingrained in me. So I was like, what are we talking about? Yeah. I like, this is just part of life. Um, so I didn't really understand it by way of contrast to anything else. Right. So I was like, you're just speaking English. You mm -hmm. know, this makes perfect sense. But the philosophy stuff had really, you know, stoked an interest there. And then 2018, I get married and I am reading Michael Heiser's book, the unseen realm. Mm -hmm. And so that, you know, that kind of is a bit of a insight into kind of my layman's theological work. I tended towards trying to reach towards the scholarly realm as best as I knew how and best I could, where it was accessible, you know, could I read at the highest level of, of layman's scholarship? And um, Michael Heiser is a legit scholar, but, but he was writing down towards lower levels. And, and I, yeah, picked up this book. And all of a sudden, my imagination was just ignited to the realities in the scriptures. And even if you're not convinced by every single argument that Heiser makes, you don't have to be. All you have to be is opened to the realities that when Paul talks about the powers and principalities, that he actually had something in mind, yeah. not nothing. Right, exactly. That it's not just the way that I would say in my experience prior to that point that most pastors kind of just gloss over that and are like, oh, yeah demonic is weird and you know sometimes you'll have bad dreams right kind of let's move on yep and i frankly i, I sympathize because from the pulpit that's probably got to be an intimidating topic to have to bring a you know to an audience mm -hmm. of people who you know probably may not do the work of understanding it rightly so i sympathize with the pulpit in that respect but i felt this desire to pursue knowledge in that realm further because I had only ever seen it not addressed or addressed in really strange sorts of ways, um, <laughs> grave sucking or uh, other hyper charismatic stuff yeah, that yeah, you're yeah, like, yeah. what is even happening? <laughs> and so, so I thought, man, this is, this is really something, this whole cosmic thing, the, the cosmic conflict yeah. that, that is now, you know, a coined term. Um, what is otherwise usually referred to as like spiritual warfare. Right. But spiritual warfare to me tends to end up with the connotation of like, yeah, we pray and we sing worship songs or things like that. And kind of this nameless, shapeless sort of thing, whereas cosmic conflict to me was a very clear theological 
biblical textual kind of idea yeah. and it actually put shape and terms and definitions on things that otherwise were again formless and void really um and it was is the collision of i would say kind of these three topics of that biblical manhood the christian worldview philosophy sorts of ideas and the spiritual realm those three things sort of were set on the collision course for me and you could probably independently keep any one of those separate of the other but as 2019 2018 you know the year i got married you know progressed into 2019 i'm starting to say this is really interesting how these overlap because i don't think these are separate and so i'm saying that around 2019 probably and thinking through these things and then towards the tail end of 2019 um kind of beginning to again via dan through the christian worldviews kind of discussions and things like that i'm i'm tracking on these new ideas about you know critical race theory or whatever it is mm -hmm. like you know that's inside of all of that discussion basically that there's this new rising wave of of ideas and doctrines culturally um and 2020 then just throws a grenade right. on it. Like 2020 just is the grenade in the whole thing. And all of a sudden, this is wearing flesh. All of these ideas, you know, the Christian worldview and philosophy being opposed to the demonic forces of darkness that are all wrapped up in the spiritual realm. And how does the role of, of a Christian man factor into all mm. this? I mean, it's it was just grenaded in my mind in 2020. And that's, that's really what ended up kind of igniting all of these connections for me. It happened to be, I would point to maybe two other resources at this time that I would say also started being enormous contributing factors to my thinking in these areas. And that is CS Lewis and in pretty much every form. Um, however, I would point namely to the space trilogy of his um, or the ransom trilogy mm. which is awesome because it has to do with the cosmic realities and lewis is writing about that in a really fun and fascinating way um which goes with you as a, a creative photographer yeah creative you're yeah creative being guy. a creative you mind wife, yeah you lewis and my daughter would call themselves creatives for those yes. people who are in that world that's the world yes. you navigate yeah you're creative you're imaginative and all of a sudden yep. you're reading story that's like yeah laced with all these truths you know? right yep right? yep i remember yeah, that that was really gripping to you yeah. right yeah the the use of story to to get the ideas across yeah. you know we're not talking about pure um ideas anymore we're talking about you know story using to tell the ideas right. and it was gripping yeah uh then along with that was carl truman releasing his book the rise and triumph of the modern self and eventually the condensed version strange new world but um those two works i would say kind of tossed fuel on on the pre-existing fire so it kind of went it kind of served to expand the truman books served to expand these ideas that i would say that schaefer you know was talking about in the 60s that then nancy piercy picked up the baton for him and has been talking about in the many years since and Lewis then was talking about, you know, the fictionalized realities of these things. Um, Abolition of Man is another really important title. Mm -hmm. Very, very closely related to that hideous strength in the space trilogy. All of these ideas then 
I'm just going to tell everybody that's the melting pot you're stepping into my brain to hear about. <laughs> yeah. The melting, pot, melting pot. <laughs> the melting pot that you're hearing that's happening inside of my brain is all of those sorts of names. Yeah, yeah. So if anything I say moving forward in this conversation is confusing in any way, I apologize for referencing them without notice or for referencing them intermixed and not explaining how I see that you know, the, the planetary representation of the stars in that hideous strength is equivalent to the powers and principalities that Michael Heiser is writing about mm. in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. So anyway, having said all that, both of you referenced some verses, Ephesians chapter 6, and Dan, you, you did not reference the verse necessarily on purpose, but you said that in walking with the Spirit of God that we then gain the power to disarm and disable mm -hmm. and, and win this sort of war mm -hmm. that we're in. Yeah. And knowingly, probably, but even unknowingly, a Christian might say a sentence like that, and I would want them to immediately open, get in the habit of saying, oh, that's 2 Corinthians 11.5, or is it 10.5? I forget. But the, funny enough, both of those, 2 Corinthians 11.5 and 10.5, I've, I've made errors before, both of them are pertinent to spiritual warfare in the intellectual life of a Christian. Mm -hmm. It's really funny because I, I can't remember which is which now because they get so entangled for me, but I believe it's 2 Corinthians 11.5 is that we have divine power to destroy strongholds in the Spirit of God, of course, um, and we, uh, we have divine power to destroy strongholds. It's 10-5. And, yeah, and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's 2 Corinthians 10-5. Okay. Right. So, yeah, Dan, unknowingly, probably knowingly, you were just referencing that, that when we mm -hmm. walk with the Spirit of God, we actually have a unique right. power. Wow. But that power is not some nameless, shapeless thing that, you know, oh, therefore, when you pray or when you sing a worship song or, or whatever it may be, uh, yes, those things are certainly realities of spiritual warfare. But when I'm thinking of this theological cosmic conflict and I think of Second Corinthians 10.5, it says that we have divine power to destroy strongholds and every lofty opinion raised up against yeah. the knowledge of God. Yeah. And so it's a, it's a knowledge issue we're talking about. Yeah. We're talking about things you can actually know. We're talking yeah. about something concrete. We're talking about yeah. doctrine would be simply the yes. word. Speculations means a reasoning, a thought. Yes. I've yeah, that is that the translation? Speculations yeah. Yeah, is the I've one you got. I've preached on this. We need to get that on the website because I've preached on this passage quite a bit. Yeah. Mm. So yeah. There's some good stuff out there that I've seen from other places and I've kind of put it together and preached yeah. on it. But yeah. Yeah. And and yeah. So, so, by the way, speculations literally means, you know, these these ideas that, that uh, enslave people. Yeah. Ideologies. Yep. Yeah, they're ideologies. Yeah. They're yeah. ideas that enslave people. Yep. Yeah. And and by the way, Second Corinthians eleven five, just for fun. If I go actually a little bit before that, it would be Second Corinthians eleven three. Okay. Uh, but I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, yep. your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches, by the way, does this not sound like Galatians? If someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you have received a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you've put up with it easily enough. 
And so anyway, Paul there is is saying clearly, right? He's saying they would capture you in your mind. Yeah. Yeah. That they would take you away in your mind. Yeah, and he ties that to a devotion to Christ, right? Yeah. We could go down this road, and I don't want to sidetrack John, but this is what you picked up when I talked about worldview. People could think, oh, philosophy. Well, it's a study of the mind. It's a study of thought. Right. And this is where the battle is. That's the point. The battle is in ideas. The The battle is in what we think, and that's where doctrine and Scripture become so critical. It's like, no, God gives me ideas and thoughts about reality. Yes. And these ideologies are always opposed to that. Right. Yeah. That's why we need to be a learning, thinking people a doctrinal people and so he ties that this purity of devotion to christ he's talking about our minds right yeah not just this affection yeah you know let's crank up a bunch of music and have this really warm fizzy feeling about worship actually i can enjoy that guys like anybody kids can be fun but that's not what this is talking about right yeah this is talking about the shaping of your mind yeah 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 Yeah. go ahead i'm sorry yeah yeah no and i'll and i'll just very quickly i'll only go to one other space before i maybe keep just reworking the the establishment of all these thoughts in my head but but I would take you to probably something that is more well known maybe as 1 Timothy 4 verse 1 and I I would lump verse 2 in here the spirit clearly says that in later mm-hmm. times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons and I'm accidentally using the ESV right now, um, but things or the t- NIV, things taught, NIV, things, uh, things taught literally means but, doctrines. But yeah, but if I were too. if I were to open up another, yeah, if I were to open up another translation, it would be the doctrine of demons. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. But that's verse one. Then, but then verse two. Ready and and this is I think what what I am concerned with in sharing all this is primarily the theology of it. Because before we got rolling, Sam asked me if this is maybe more pertinent to a, an idea of biblical theology, or is this kind of pertinent to the discussion of masculinity? And and for me, if we talk well about the theology, any discerning listener cannot move forward without, if you're a man, you you will live this out according to your biblical masculinity. Right. And if you're a woman, then you will see this according to your biblical femininity. But no matter who you are, you cannot engage this theology thoughtfully and walk away unchanged. And and so the reason I say that is into verse two here. So now, now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. By the way, this is called deconstruction for us wanting to use a popular word (laughs) through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. And then it lists some of the things that they do, some of the things that they were teaching at that time. And now we have a whole other flavor that, you know, is a different form of, of doctrines of demons. Um, Some of them are, you know, dead in line with the first century and nothing changes. And then others, we have some new, you know, maybe we have some different variations on the same old lies. But my point being is that how did this happen? How did the, how did it happen that people would depart from the faith and devote themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons do deceitful spirits and teaching and demon teachers. Do they come down from the sky and beam themselves into your brain and, (laughs) and then, Oh, aha. I have a new idea. No, like the vast majority of the time, that's not what happens. Although I'm not going to say that never happens. 
I'm not going to say that never happens. Talk to any of your friends, and I know you have them, dear listener, who have had psychedelic experiences. Yep. These things can happen. Certainly these things can happen, okay? Ask any of your friends who have tried one too many drugs, and they know about these things. Yeah. Uh, talk to Joseph Smith. Talk to any number of you know false teachers, and they may have had something like this. Yeah. You However, want, you wonder about Muhammad in a cave, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He heard something apparently. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he probably did. Is it legitimate? He probably, he probably actually. Yeah. Did. And that's did. yes. And that's and that's exactly. <laughs> I think this is where, you know, again, as I as I free float through my references here, that's exactly what Heiser is going to speak to is. Is that carved piece of wood in the New Testament? Is that thing a demon? No. No. It's it's mute. It's void, right? That's what Paul says. It's a voided thing. It's a muted thing. It's it's a it's, it's a, a it's lifeless a, object. It's yeah. a piece of wood. It's a symbol of something. Right? However, there's a reality behind, underneath, and in and through that thing that is representative of something that is very very real. Yeah. And so, what I what I think is very important in these discussions is that we not just laugh off the spiritual realm and that we not just haha our way through thinking like, Oh, these things aren't real anymore. No, 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 absolutely. They are real. Absolutely. They take on forms that may not be embodied in the way of, you know, the demon possessed movies that we see where somebody's floating six feet <laughs> off the ground in a chair. Certainly not in our time and place and context in the gospel. Now, there may be someone of you who's listening to this in an international place where those things are happening more frequently, and I have developed theology as to why that is. But anyway, the point being here is that we are talking about a real thing. Yeah. Like, we're actually talking about something that really exists. But my point being, the deceitful spirits and the demons are oftentimes not just appearing in front of a person and educating them about what they ought to believe. No, Paul says, through mm -hmm. these doctrines of demons come through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. There's false teachers. Branded, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Another way to say that that I, that I think about is like these ideologies are not unembodied. They're always em, they're always yeah. embodied. Yeah. Somebody somebody is carrying it. Yeah. Yeah. And they're not just floating around the air somewhere. Nope. Right. And <laughs> and as difficult as this may be for someone to get their head around, I do promise that if you observe carefully for a long enough period of time so don't believe me right now if you don't that's fine i'm perfectly comfortable with that if you were to disbelieve me in this conversation but i think if you kick these ideas around for long enough you will find out there is not a neutral ground mm. we don't have neutrality right there is Preach no it. such thing <laughs> you either yep. stand in opposition to god or in favor of god right there are doctrines of demons and there are doctrines of God. And now some things may appear to be neutral because they don't have an overtly appearing harmfulness about them. But why should we be surprised for even Satan Masquerades. parades yep. as an angel of the light? Yep. Mm. So there may be an apparent neutrality about the world. It's but all a tactic. There is no neutrality in the world. I assure you. And again, you can yep. disbelieve me right now. But if you're faithful in kicking these ideas around, letting yep. them tumble on your head for long enough, you'll start to see, and maybe it's not even next week, maybe it's not in the next six months, but maybe it's that friend of yours who, or family member who today is listening to that Instagram account that I probably don't even have to put a fake name on for you. I bet you have one in your head right now 
there's a there is an Instagram account, there is a Twitter page, there's a YouTube channel that this person is engaging with, and it's apparently neutral right now. Or maybe it's a Netflix show or something. It's apparently neutral right now. And and in five years, when that person departs from the way of Christ and they say, I no longer believe, I will show you then, and I will ask you to look then at the fact that it was never neutral. Mm. The ideas that they were consuming mm. were not neutral and that all of those things were at all times pushing them in a direction. Mm. The tree will fall the way that it leans. Yeah. And you're always hacking on one side of your tree or the other. Yep. And this is where, you know, Sam, we've talked this in other podcasts, but again, you guys know me. I have certain, you know, as you get older, you have certain drums you keep beating, you know. But I could go down this road of what we call our sciences today, our social sciences, psychology, mm-hmm. sociology, mm-hmm. political science. Yep. Right? And um, those all start with their first premise. The first domino in those discussions is autonomous man, meaning mm-hmm. we're going to start with man. They don't start with God, and they don't start with God speaking. It doesn't mean that they don't stumble into some things that are true observations of our world. That's right. what I want to say. But you have to be really cautious about drawing interpretation from it all. Right. Because the interpretation is through autonomous man. Exactly. And my whole point, and when I talk to people about that, again, you got to be careful from the pulpit because they may think you're saying something. But I just say it's not neutral. Mm-hmm. This is not neutrality. This actually is coming from somewhere. And where you're then, John, taking it to this biblical theological grid is it actually is tied to doctrines of demons. Yeah. See, you know, it's kind of hard to say that to people. You yeah. know, publicly, if you yeah. will, but it yeah. really is. That's really what's going on. Yeah. And and I I again hear me clearly say I offer an invitation to distrusting it right now today. If today you hear this and you think, eh, I don't know, it's kind of a wash. That seems a little odd, or it seems like an extreme kind of viewpoint. What do you think? You know, we don't we don't view the world by a binary. There's a lot more gray space than this. I'm totally content for you to say these things today. And I might even agree more than you're inclined to think that I might, you know, because you on the other end of this listening don't know me personally. But I'm inclined to probably agree with you that some things have the appearance of gray space. But but as I've gone, it's only because, though, we lack certain knowledge yeah we don't have all the details i yeah and that's and that's where i'm what i'm asking because we lack that oversight we lack the ability to zoom out to twenty thousand feet i'm asking you to try to do that yeah to whoever is listening please try to zoom out to twenty thousand feet and what that means is kick this idea around for a little while put it in your frame of reference think about it as you go about your life think about some people who have abandoned the faith um, and try to try to think through like, oh, were there were there things going on that appear to be neutral, that in the end by their cumulative growth, that actually multiple things that appeared to be neutral didn't end up mm-hmm. being quite so mm-hmm. neutral at all. Mm-hmm. And that's that's all. That's I just want to kind of put the stumbling block in front of people to say, look, this cosmic reality at work among us is not fiction right it also is not nameless and shapeless it actually has like a real tangible presence and that real tangible presence is not somebody floating six feet off of the ground it is probably 
a very slow cumulative work of ideas that begin to hack at one side of the tree until the tree is leaning far enough that they don't even have to push it over. The tree will just fall the way that it leans. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of the imagery that I'm thinking of here. And no, no single blow of an ax, unless you're John Bunyan, Paul Bunyan, will, uh, <laughs> John Bunyan, and John Bunyan also <laughs> awesome. Uh, unless you're Paul Bunyan, no single blow of an ax will knock a tree over, right? It's, yeah. it's the multitude yeah. of, of steady blows that will knock a tree over eventually. And even then, you will never complete the cutting through of a tree. You might notice that that a tree will never you'll never use an axe to chop all the way through a tree. Right. It's, if it's anyone's ever chopped fibers. a tree down, you you get it to about two thirds of the way, probably depending on the size, and and then you can kind of push it over. Yeah. Or it falls of its own accord. Right. So, that's kind of maybe the big big picture setup here, um, and my reference for that, by the way, first of all, that's a quote from the Lorax. The tree falls the way that it leans. <laughs> thank you, <laughs> thank you, Doctor Seuss. Uh, so however, C.S. Lewis, Michael Heiser, and Doctor Seuss. And Doctor Seuss, man, <laughs> that that guy probably had some psychedelic experiences. <laughs> um, but I would say that is from Paralandra. C.S. Lewis's Paralandra. He envisions the temptation and the fall of humanity. Mm-hmm. He, he's re-envisioning this. Like, yeah. what what would it look like fictionalized? Right. And and of course, Lewis was always pretty clear in acknowledging that his work, A, was never intended to be expressly allegorical, and B, it's certainly not biblical. Like right. as in, he's not trying to rewrite or reinterpret the text. He's just doing a little vision exercise. Like, right. And what he envisions is a world where Eve's temptation in Paralandra was actually a very long and ongoing process. And so, yeah, he envisions Paralandra as Eve's temptation taking the course over multiple weeks, Mm. many, many weeks or months, an unnamed period of time, really, but that it's very conversational in nature, her temptation. Mm. It's not merely the single one-off, you know, in the scriptures, you know, we can't go beyond the scriptures in order to create doctrine, but we might creatively envision an alternative world, um... Let's all go ahead and just open them up at the same time. Um, that's a great sound effect. So <laughs> anyway, from Paralandra is where I'm kind of yeah. pulling. Not Bud Light. Yeah, yeah, these are. Bud yeah, Light. yeah. <laughs> we're drinking Off Waterloo, them. this yeah. really masculine drink. Yeah, my cranberry, <laughs> sparkling, my cranberry water. sparkling water. So <laughs> we hold our pinkies out when we do. Yeah. <laughs> we're, hey, we're classy men. Um, so anyway, okay. This is all very maybe abstract and a person might be wondering how is this biblical theology? These are just guys talking. So I, I will try without, I'm going to have to very, very sloppily make my way through a, kind of a big picture here. And I'm going to be presupposing some arguments uh, that a person will have to ride with me on yeah. for the time being and, and sort out on their own time, which I would say, namely some of these, some of the arguments that a person would have to work through are maybe the, some of the fine points of Michael Heiser's theology. Yeah. Um, but none of those actually are necessary in order to inform the bigger picture here. 
So some of the finer points, maybe a person would want to think through more critically on their own, but none of them are, are independent, uh, you know, independently necessary to confirm the larger picture here. Okay. So I actually have a quote starting off. I actually, I, to be frank with you, I don't know who Roy Zuck Roy B. Zuck yeah. is it was as a scholar. Okay, but yeah, he was. He's been around. Yeah, okay. He, he so, was a name for, did you ever run into him? Not in your current PhD studies. The name's somewhat familiar. I'm you sure find I've, him in old commentaries yeah. and stuff. I want to say I want to say Dallas Theological. I don't know why Maybe. I want to say that, but yeah, I think I, I can't even remember how I ended up stumbling yeah. on this quote. Yeah. But as far as I know, Roy B. Zuck is a is a guy we can trust. <laughs> yeah. But in the he had a book, The Biblical Theology of the Old Testament, and he wrote this quote the history of god's kingdom on earth no matter at what time and in what form is a history of struggle and conflict because it is an establishment at the cost of subduing the hostile elements arrayed against it so to boil it down no matter what point you open up your bible doesn't matter the page you're going to be reading about conflict mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. God establishing his kingdom will always come up against the hostile elements of the world. Mm. And he says hostile elements. And, you know, that's a term that Paul used a lot was the word elements mm -hmm. because it has a general nature to it. It has, it has the twofold nature of human and demon. Mm. And when we say demon, what we mean is a spiritual force opposed to God. Yeah. So God has creatures, and then we have subcategories for creatures. We have uh, human creatures, right? Okay, and then we have uh, you know disembodied creatures. So so we have you know dis when I say disembodied, I mean spiritual. Yeah, angelic. Um, angelic is yeah another word. Yeah, and an angel we get into messy classification terms of like oh what is an angel. What is seraphim? What are cherubim? Like, yep. what are all these things? Basically, it's it's non-bodied, right? Disembodied, non-bodied creatures, right? Yeah. And then humans are always bodied creatures, yep. embodied. And so they were embodied and disembodied. So, so and I, we're both I'm, creatures. I'm a human soul. I have a real soul. Yep, immaterial. Right. That's in a, that's immaterial. That's real though. Yeah, so it's a, you could even say my personhood. Yeah, I'm a real person, and I happen to be in a body. Mm -hmm. Can I say it that way? Is that a good way to say it? Is it well, well, it? I I don't know if I if I would phrase it as I happen to be in a body. I'd say your person, who you are as a person, is an embodied soul. Okay, that's good. Yeah, yep. that's what I'm saying. Yep. I know there's Dirt a technicality and way to divine say it, breath. But I'm just saying God God's a person. Yep. Yeah. So he, the way but, he, the but way, he doesn't have a body. Yes, a person. He, but he, yeah, but he put person. on a body. Right. So the way the right. way the uh, the Jesus put on a body. Right? Yeah. yeah. Ancient theologians would talk about yeah, this, which uh, be your building off of Greek metaphysics. Okay, is go. You have you have the um, the person, mm -hmm. and the person subsists. Uh, it's a fancy term. I don't even know what uh, an equivalent would be that would carry the same meaning, but subsist in nature. Okay. Yeah. So Sam Parada, me as a person, yeah, subs I subsist in human nature. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so Christ. You have the eternal Son of God, the person. He's a the person. Eternal, the eternal person. Preexistent, lives yep. forever. Eternal. Yep. He he eternally subsists in the divine nature. Okay. Yep. The Father, as the per, as a person, eternally subsists in the divine nature. Right. Okay. So the Son then, also then at the incarnation, the eternal right. Son, 
now in time subsists in the human nature while yep. continuing to subsist in the divine right. nature. Yeah. That's where we both, get both, and, na both natures at the same time. Yep. Yeah. Hypostatic and union. I would say linked. With, with no conflict. A very dummied word would be linked. They are, you are, you are eternally linked. Sam Parada is eternally linked to the body of Sam Parada. Yeah, I would, well. Or not eternally for you, I suppose, before I'm sure, time, but I'm sure, after. I'm sure people would, yeah. would uh, quibble about linked. Right. Yeah, there's always well, well yeah. And, and what you hear in our podcast right here, this is why Sam and I've had a lot of fun too, is because truly, truly, okay, so I've studied these things, I like to think about them, um, but I'm kind of a, a street guy, you know, I'm just, I want to be a practitioner, so I'm just saying that this is how I think about yeah. it, and you're learning to be technical, right, as a scholar, and so yeah. you have to, you have to get a real technical, fine, lines. fine line nuance, which is wonderful. It actually helps me be more clear when I try to make something simple mm -hmm. without, because you can make something simple. That's what people try to do with the Trinity and they actually lost the Trinity, right? Yeah, that's yeah. that's all, they, all these false ideas came up, right? So anyway, I'm just saying what people yeah. hear in the podcast right now is three of yeah. us trying to define this and yeah. I didn't mean to get off on a tag. No, that's okay. Yeah. yeah but I do, I'm just saying I am, I'm in, I am in, I'm an embodied soul. Yes. Yep. Yes. Yep. And, and that's different than God's other creatures. Right. God has other they're, creatures. They're, they're pure spirits. Who are pure spirits. Right. And not bodied. And right. we get into the they, study of and angelology. And what we mean by not embodied is that you have, and again, this is back to Greek philosophy. Yeah. Uh, you, you have form and you have matter. Mm. So the human soul is the form of the body. So the form, which is immaterial, informs, I N. F O R M S informs the body, the shape of the matter. Yeah. So again, we yeah. think we think, um, just generally, we have. You can think of the periodic table of the elements. Okay. What what determines that? You know, you're made up of carbon and nitrogen and and hydrogen and all yeah. sorts of things. But why do you have the form that you do? Why do you have the shape that you do? Right. Well, it's because the immaterial form yeah. informs the way that the matter actually yeah. takes yeah. shape. So what you're saying yeah. though is angels, they don't, they're not made up of matter. Right. No, they don't have matter, no. but they still, they're still real. They're still, yep. they're, they're still, still real. Bingo. And they're still creatures. Yeah. yeah. And so this, this might feel to someone listening a, like we were on weird tangents and I sympathize with you, but B it might sound like, okay, get to the point. Like what does this mean? But it's very important to Can put I those build pieces off of on the table. Sure. This is really important. If okay, I'll give a little plug for Thomas Thomas Aquinas here. You're not going to find many theologians in church history that have written more on angel angelology. Yeah, you know the doctrine of angels than yeah. him. Really? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, if you want to read on on angels on all of this that yeah. I've been that we've been saying, just go to his Summa Theologica. But it's important to realize though that angels, th there is a discussion and. I would agree, like most agree that they are too made in the image of God. And why, mm -hmm. do, why do we say that? Well, because they have intellect and they have will. Mm -hmm. and, and humans have intellect and they have will. And that's important because when we, I'm sure you're going to kind of flesh it out more, the kind of the, the right. doctrines of demons. Right. Demons who are fallen angels, they have minds. Yeah. They're, they or are, do they, they? They have intellects. In a terrifying sense, yes. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, and they so, have pure intellect. And, yeah, and let me they have no one, distraction of the body. Right. Let me the, add one more the, thing: the, the passions the, of the unmitigated. Body. The passions. Well, 
of the body are not hindering yeah it's the intellectual. Un- unmitigated intellect right think yeah. of about i mean we all know like okay we're we just worked out really hard had a hard day at work whatever our bodies are exhausted yeah. maybe we haven't yeah. been eating well and our brains don't work and we're let, like i can't even yeah. think yeah let me refer you to chapter one of the screw tape letters <laughs> yeah. whenever your patient begins dear dear screw tape whenever your patient yes, begins it. to be thinking of important things remind him that he's hungry yeah, there <laughs> it is he does yeah that's it there I've never, oh yeah that's so and, and the one. other thing i would want to say oh man it's so good could i just throw this in if somebody's listening to this podcast realize what we're doing here so you don't get lost like yep actually though what we're doing now we're talking about certain authors who are highlighting ideas you're talking about aquinas theologically he's talked about c.s lewis but technically, what we're really doing, though, is we really are starting from the scriptures. And when you go to the scriptures, you find all these things yeah. there. And we're trying to make yeah. sense of all of that. Right. right? Yeah. I mean, it just, you know, angels, angels show up. Seraphim, you said it already. And yeah. not, so I just want people to understand, well, this can sound kind of heady in these interesting mm-hmm. things. We're not starting with these books. No. No. Nope. And again, it goes, it goes if people, right. I mean, people would know our normal podcast. But if somebody were just to listen to this as a standalone, we believe that we start with our scripture. Yeah. And now we got yeah. to contend with, if you want to say it that way, in the best sense, like try to understand, wait a minute, there are these, de- there are these demons, mm-hmm. and Satan is a real being, mm-hmm. and he seems to kind of uh, embody some kind of creature somehow, however that all works in the garden. And, yeah. and so you have to think all that stuff through. Right. Yeah. And what we're going to is men who thought it through from different ways, yeah. either creative, imaginatively, or theologically, which is really helpful. But we're not at technically starting there. We're actually starting with scripture. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay, yep. go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. No. So, that so well, in. no. This was all. This was all kind of big setup stuff. And if a person, if if right here, Sam, you were to put a timestamp, if a person says, "Well, just give me the Bible," well, then right here would be your timestamp, uh, because all of this is kind of set up. Yeah. This is like big picture. What are we even talking about right now? And I'm putting, trying to put important pieces on the table, which are. You know, namely one of them that we have to say out loud because it matters in the time and the place and the culture and the context in which we live is hey, there are non bodied God's creatures, okay? Mm-hmm. And we call them things like angels, we mm-hmm. call them things like demons. The point being that there are creatures that exist in the world, and as we read the scriptures, you know this. Listener, you know that there are creatures that are in the world that are not physical creatures, and we'll call them things like angels and demons, and you know about them in the New Testament, because if you're a brand new believer and all you've done is read the Gospels, then you know about (laughs) people being possessed. You know about people who are being tormented by demons. You know about people who had a sickness that was upon them and Jesus casts out a demon. He doesn't merely, you know, do doctoral work to, you know, MD level work and heal them. He casts the demon out. Okay, but then you read further into the letters of the New Testament and you read about Paul saying this phrase, the powers and the principalities and the power of the prince of air and the rulers and authorities and dominions and and you read in Peter about you know, the, the angels who were not spared, but were cast into Tartarus. And you're, you gotta be thinking about all these things well, as you read the scripture. Like then what? you get to the revelation. Good yeah. Oh What's goodness. And I haven't touched the revelation What's because it's that? just its own. Yeah. It's a world. Yeah, it's, 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 it's describing, its own it's describing quite a world. Yeah. Yeah. And 
And now what a person might do, and this is maybe my first point that I want to put on the table here, is in, in a working through a biblical theology, usually what you end up doing, uh, if you maybe topical theologies, um, is you typically would start with a question. Hey, why is that there? What's that doing there? Or what's this inconsistency about? It appears to be something that does not make sense. So the example that I'm going to give here is nowhere in the Old Testament is there a casting out of a demon that we read. Right. Not not on the surface. Right. We never in the Old Testament read on the surface something like, a casting out of a demon. But then here Jesus comes on the scene and just is doing it on a whim. Right. Day in and day out, this is his ministry's work, is casting out demons. But when we read in the Old Testament, we don't see this as being a normative aspect of life, nor as the image of the Messiah. In in all of these pictures of the Messiah... It doesn't seem like on a popular level, if we just read the text on its face, where did we get this from? This yeah. idea that like when, when the Messiah comes, he's going to be casting out demons. He's going to have power over the realm that you can't see mm. that's not bodied. Mm. Okay, so that's where a lot of the theology has to start is asking this question yeah. of what changed here? The Old Testament doesn't seem to have this idea. But then the New Testament does. And, and even actually Jesus' interaction is very different than Paul's and very different than Peter's in the New Testament church. They don't seem to very often actually be casting out demons. There's only a few, maybe handful of stories. Uh, and, and certainly Paul actually, you know, in his multitude of instructions that he gives to the New Testament churches, doesn't inform them about how to go about this practice of casting out demons which seems odd if it was so integral to the life of Christ and then maybe even to, to a few handful stories in the early church. You find an then, Acts primarily, right? Yeah, 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 and why would we not be instructed by the apostles then about how to do this practice? Mm. So what I'm getting at here is, is providing and setting the stage for a theology that has sort of maybe three sections, I suppose, and, and it would be the Old Testament uh, interaction, the interaction of the supernatural realm in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. the interaction of the supernatural realm in Christ's life in the early church, yep. and then our interaction and post, post-apostolic really is what it would be. What's our interaction? And, and I, I usually would spend three weeks doing something like this because yeah, yeah. I would want to get into the weeds, right. try to explain these sorts of things, but... But if I could, I would just, I would just, first of all, I would point you to Genesis 3. This yeah. is our introduction to spiritual warfare. Yep. The first that we see a thing like this happening. Now, before we open up to Genesis 3, we're going to take our mind to Job 38, that, that at the foundation of the world, the sons of God were singing the praise of God. So we have these characters called the sons of God who are praising the the creative work of God amidst his, you know, amidst his um, material creation. Mm-hmm. He is now materially creating the universe, and the sons of God are singing this praise. We learn that in Job thirty-eight, and so these are not pre-existent beings. 
um, but they are created beings, but they are there before we are. Right. Okay. And then you open up Genesis 3. Aha, we have one of these beings. We have one of these beings interacting with now the the second family of God, mm. so to speak. Mm-hmm. So God has family number one, these non-bodied creatures of mm-hmm. his that are called the sons of God. That's a term that they receive consistently throughout the New oh, Testament yeah. and or throughout the scriptures, which, by the way, is very important to our discussion because John chapter 1 to those who believe in the name of Jesus Christ, you have been given the right to become sons of God. Sons of God. Yeah. So there's a there's an interesting displacement that's at work here in the in the conversation. But the point being, there are these non-bodied creatures, spiritual beings. We meet one on the early pages of the scripture, Genesis three. And how does how does he come into the pages of the scriptures, but undermining the authority of God? Mm. Yep. So how the nuances of all that, I will let probably odd scholars play around with those things. But uh, there's probably important work being done there, but I don't want to get into those weeds about, oh, when did that whole thing start? You know, how did Satan fall like lightning? What's this mm-hmm. about? Anyway, the point being, though, is that there is a spiritual creature undermining God to this new family. Right. This mm-hmm. new family is an embodied one. And the undermining happens with the words, did God really say? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. And so... And, and he's upending the hierarchy that God's put in place, the order. Yeah. Yeah. He's, yeah. He has come, he has come to the woman and has asked her, did God really say? Yep. And this is, yeah, as Dan just said, that that's an upheaval of the, of the ordered creation that God had made. And the whole thing at the beginning is about order. Mm-hmm. The whole thing is that God creates order out of non-order. And in doing so, one of those elements was that he creates man and out of woman or out of man, he creates woman. Now, now creatures are to be underneath that. Yeah. Yep. So it's God, man, woman, creatures. Yeah. And now you have. Well, you mean by creatures, you mean animals. Animals. Animals, yes. yes. Yeah, because we're using now, the word creatures. Yeah, we've been using the creatures yeah. of all creatures. And then he has animals. Yeah, yeah, animals. yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean, right. But then you, you, you turn it upside down and all of a sudden there's this. There's this spiritually embodied animal. Right, a serpent. He comes in the form of a come, serpent. Comes to the woman, yeah. who then goes to the man, who yep. then God shows up. Yeah. It's like this reversal. Totally. Yeah. And fascinating. It's just, yeah, yeah. It's just fascinating. Yeah. Just think about this. No, thing. it is. Huh. It's, yeah, and it's important to think about it, uh, and, and particularly in light of the fact that God, when, when he comes for what ultimately is judgment, when God comes for, for his you know, checking in, um, call it accusation, call it judgment, whatever it is, God pursues the man in questioning. Right. Yep. And so right. the anyway, pro- the, the, the point with that, though, is is really in light of what I'm trying to get out of this is he does not force feed the fruit upon them. Right. Okay. He, he does not. He And I'm guessing if if he had that power and could so simply do such a thing as that well then why not mm. but he doesn't do that he undermines the authoritative word of god right yeah, there's a clear yeah. there's a clear teaching of yep. god yep. you know do not touch the tree in the midst of the garden uh, or do not eat the f- do not eat the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden yeah. actually and and eve adds to it eve adds or, to it or to even say touch it. Or yeah even touch it. or even touch it yeah and 
And it's important though that that he does not force feed. He does not, you know, demonically possess them. He questions. He undermines. He undermines the authority of the spoken and revealed knowledge of God. Mm-hmm. And it's important because that is much more akin to our experience of God, uh, our experience of temptation and, and life with God is, oh. is much more of this, is much more of this, did God really say sort of experience. Mm. But then throughout the Old Testament, we don't see this. It doesn't really appear to happen this way throughout the remainder of the Old Testament. And so what I would work through in a, in a group where I would have much more time would be, so what was happening in the Old Testament? And I would take you to a place like Psalm 106 that is actually not going to tell a different story. It's going to tell a story that looks different, and it has like different characters and involvement. But, but Psalm 106, verse 34 through 39 is, They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord had commanded them. And these are during the conquests, yeah. right? And it's very important to understand the conquests correctly, because I think if we understand the conquests rightly... Though a natural person might still disagree with us, though a person who does not have the Spirit of God in reading the Scriptures or takes a naturalistic view of the world would never agree with us. When, when we actually read the conquests of the Scriptures through a spiritual lens, understanding rightly the way that God had ordained the world, we actually would end up seeing that this was hardly about war at all. It's certainly, it's certainly not war by, by any sort of way that we think of it today. Right. And so, importantly, I, I, I distinguish that because why why had the Lord done that? Um, it says, as the Lord had commanded them to destroy the peoples, but they had mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did. They had served their idols, mm-hmm. which had become a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, who they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood, and they became unclean in their acts, and they played the whore in their deeds. Yeah. So what was God's concern with wiping out these people? Was it ethnicity concerns? Was it that these are just you know bad people? Or was it that I'm a God who just wants to slaughter people? I just, I'm not convinced by any of that. I, what I, are you convinced by? I'm convinced that... God says exactly why he was concerned. He tells exactly why he wanted those people being wiped out. And it's because they served these idols that demanded human, which are actually demons, which are real spiritual creatures. So so you know what I think of, Sam, is some of, again, some of your studies you're working on when you talk about a nation. Yeah. And one of the characteristics of a, if you came up with the definition of a nation biblically, amongst other things, we don't need to get into it, but you've told me one of the characteristics is they had a God. Yeah. Or gods. They yeah. had some type of perspective of this is the God we pay homage to. Well, mm-hmm. right. Says, Do, am I said, saying it right? Well, yeah. He says specifically in Deuteronomy, Moses says specifically in Deuteronomy, what is it, 20, ooh, I should have this memorized, 20 something. Yeah. Basically, that God determined the number of the nations based right. upon the number of the sons of God. Yep. Yeah, and that's and so that's a finer so point, point of, of Heiser's argumentation. So your, that point, I, of, I won't your point of the battle, on. John, is that these people worshipped a true entity of some sort yeah. that had an influence on them in this evil practice that they were playing yeah. out. And at the end well, of the day, and, this is what God was more, getting even, rid of. This is what more, God was getting rid of. Even moreover, we can't we can't divorce it even from what's going on in in, in uh, 
what is it? Genesis six with the Nephilim and things like that. Bingo. Right. And and you know, you got the spies going into the promised land and like, right. oh, there's giants here. There's descendants. Yep. Yeah. Of Anak. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and and these are all things that again, I you know, it's funny, I'm glad you guys are going there so I don't have to because right. I sometimes I'm like, I don't want to be the guy who puts on my tinfoil hat and starts teaching a Bible study, right? All I mean, of the when you open the when you open style. the text and you're reading the text and you, all of a sudden you're yeah. pretty convinced yeah. that you're like, oh man, this I don't is, want to get away. This, this I, is I'll give a plug for Andy Wilson and the Stories of Soulful podcast. This mm. is what he does a really good job of. He's like, yeah. you know, you read Lord of the Rings, you read, yeah. you know, C.S. Lewis's The Space Trilogy or Nardi or whatever, and you think, oh, what a cool world, what you know, Star Wars, whatever, what a cool Bingo. world. I wish I lived in a cool fantasy world like that. No, I you wish. do. You live you do. in one. Yes. Well, okay, so we don't <laughs> want to get in the one. weeds. I want to let John be able to do the survey that's already stretched out. I don't know if maybe it turns into two podcasts. It's just so cool to me. But this goes back to what I tried to tell the guys. Guys, you don't want to meet with these young guys. And you and I have talked about this already, Sam. Yeah. I'm not against guys having recreation. And you ought to be a little harder on it than me, which is fine. I, <laughs> you go back and listen to Crisis of Masculinity. We talk about this. Crisis of Masculinity podcast. My point, though, is I want these guys to understand what you just said. Guys, you're doing this on a video game, yeah. but you can actually do it. It's a real mm -hmm. war. You can actually engage mm -hmm. a real war, and there's real weapons for that warfare. That's what I was talking yeah. about earlier, and I want young men, if well, they understood it, this, they may it, see it from a different I don't. I don't know if this is one of your cross-references in this whole discussion, but it makes me think of Paul telling Timothy, hey, like, don't, don't be a guy that gets wrapped up in civilian affairs. Yes. Yeah. Yep. You're in a, you're, there's, yeah. You're in a, you're in a war. Yes. And if you're in a war. Yes. You're going to, you're living life differently. Oh, you're you guys. Not, you're not living life oh, as Sam. though it's peacetime. You get me all fired up. So, so <laughs> I, I preach at all these men's conferences over my lifetime. I've had this really cool privilege to talk about this stuff. And I tell you guys, I, I can't tell you the conferences and it isn't because of the current thing. Think of even 15, 20 years ago, I was telling guys, so what would you guys do today? I told you this earlier today. I was talking to a young pastor, our good friend Cody up in North Dakota. So Cody, you're a pastor. What happens if today, literally, China comes over the North, North Dakota border and they're invading your cities yeah. and you're the pastor of a church of people and you have to instruct them. Yeah. You're the guy they're looking to, man. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That says something about your posture and your position. All my point is I would say at men's conferences, guys, well, how would you actually respond yeah. if today you knew somebody reported to you You've been invaded this week in the city, and they're coming to your house this afternoon. They're going to be here in three hours. What are you going to do? Right. We actually live in a world like that. Yeah. And I'm not talking about a military physical battle. I'm talking about a spiritual battle. That's it's already happening. Real. You're in the war right now. You're, you're in it. Yeah. It's happening. What are you doing? Yeah. Why are you playing video games? Right. That's, <laughs> that's more the point. Okay. So again, I want to be careful how far we take all that, but I want to kick somebody in the butt and go, come on, dudes. Like, Yeah. Again, so I, I'm sorry, yeah. I, I'm going off on some no. of my little well, the, hobby horses. The, the outset of the tangent was useful, and that was Sam kind of bringing up this idea of, of the Nephilim and the scriptures. Yeah. Um, but I, I would say, and this is this is a point of Heiser here, but I, I'm, again, I, I genuinely think that through a faithful study of the scriptures, I think you will come to a conclusion very similar, if not the same, but... But that is that there's three origins of evil in the world. There's three. It's not just Genesis chapter three. That there's actually Genesis chapter three, Genesis chapter six, and then Genesis chapter ten. Hmm. And these are the these are how evil is originated in the world. And so to briefly recap that, it would be 
you have the fall of man, yeah. which happens by the undermining of the truth of God. Yeah. Okay, so it's this temptuous spiritual being who undermines God's word that was revealed to Adam, and then Adam and Eve are cast out from the perfect place yep. into, uh, into a common land, into yeah. land that is not God-dwelt. Right. Okay, so the eternal tabernacle idea of Eden, yeah. the mountain garden, ceased to be their dwelling place. Right. Now you have them living among the common land. And so now here in the common land, a land not with God's presence, in other words, you have them encountering these sons of God who are taking for themselves daughters of man. And there are translational debates that can happen, but it seems somewhat clear that we are talking about some sort of spiritual rebellion that's happening here too. Mm-hmm. And there's all sorts of arguments that happen. Um, but the point being, we have here in Genesis 6 another story about evil being perpetrated in the world in a profound way, not originating it, but it's explaining why the world is as bad as it is. Yeah. Genesis 6, okay? Then we have the flood. And then in Genesis 10, you have the Babel event. Okay. And mm-hmm. that's what then is being referenced in Deuteronomy 32, 17. There it is. Yeah. Deuteronomy 32, 17. Not, not in 20s. Um, I actually think in 26, it makes mention of a similar thing. But in 32, I think it's 8 and 9, and maybe also in 17. In 17, I think it says they devoted themselves to demons who they did not know, who their fathers had never known, or something weird like that. But 32, 8, and 9, I think, is where it says that um, God had apportioned the land and divided them up according to the number of the sons of God. And he took for himself Israel, Jacob, as his portion. Right. So he gives the land over. He gives all the nations, Mm -hmm. these people groups. We'll say people groups because at the time when we think of nations, we're thinking of constitutions. They didn't have constitutions. They had usually ethnic tribal people groups sort of idea, mm-hmm. okay? So he kind of appoints secondary rulers over them, but these secondary rulers are, you know, the sons of God. We already saw Genesis 3. Some of them are rebellious, but the sovereign God of all things appoints even rebellious sons mm-hmm. to rule over the common people, mm-hmm. the, the people at large. But he picked one. And he was going to rule them. Yeah. Which is why, by the way, only the Israelites receive the law, mm-hmm. not the common land. Mm-hmm. Not everybody receives the law. Okay. That's unique to Israel. And so anyway, this is, this is very important because we're also here we get into all of this theology starts to solve other problems for you, by the way, because when you start working your way through these things, you're also going to find out the inheritance of the nations, which is a huge theme throughout the scriptures, is solved by this issue of the cosmic conflict. The inheritance of the nations is mentioned all throughout the Psalms. Oh God, take back the peoples for yourself. Yeah. And, and this same plea, the same cry, is all throughout the scriptures. And, and then in Genesis 10, what you have is the Babel, mm-hmm. okay, the, the languages being divided, and then when Moses reflects on that event later in De- Deuteronomy 32, he says, that's when God handed the nations over for dividing them up. 
by the way, the next chapter, he picks Abram. Mm -hmm. So you go read Babel. He gives the nations over to the divine sons of God and and says, okay, they're going to be ruled for other people. But I pick Abram. Next chapter, chapter after Babylon, he picks Abram for himself, okay, and starts a family. Okay, but then you fast forward, and Acts chapter 2, the preaching of the gospel. Reversal. There's a table of nations. Yeah. We call it the table of nations. That's what happens right there in Acts chapter 2. Peter makes a careful point to preach the gospel by God's sovereign will. He makes a careful point to be preaching the gospel to every known people group and language. Sometimes we call that, and some of us would say it's a reversal. It's the reversal, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's the unbabbling. But not only is it an unbabbling as in, you know, oh, cool, like the gift of tongues uses all the languages and everybody can understand, whereas it was once divided. Which was a sign of what was happening. This is the reclamation of the nations. God God is overthrowing the powers and the principalities no longer as the rulers, but he's saying... All of them I have reclaimed for my inheritance. There it is. And then, and then you could go, we could talk missionally when we start thinking, think Great Commission, right? Mm-hmm. Go into and make disciples of? All nations. Yeah, all nations. And then boom. And tongues is this, this sign that says, no, there's going to be a universal language. Okay, what, yep. what do we mean? Well, eventually you see, what's the universal language? It's the gospel. Mm. Yep. It goes to everybody and everybody understands it. Yeah. Spirit opens yeah. people's eyes in every little nook and cranny and every little language and every little place. And yeah. that's what we're in the middle of now. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, we're going to get cranked up with what we're involved with. Yeah. You know, when, you, yeah. when Sam and I are out down on the campus, I've told the young guys this you got to understand what's going on here. Yeah. Yeah. We're there looking and, for Jesus' sheep and they're there. Yeah. yeah. And we're just, we're just get we're just, here we are. Here yeah. we are. I'll talk to you. I'll send you, <laughs> yeah. you know, you have a girl come up and talk to you and she's living a, you know, a, a sinful life and she admits it and blah, blah, blah. Next thing you know, she's got tears in her eyes about the gospel. What do you think is going on? Yeah. Like we're, we're going, we're, we're, yep. Transcendent. We're, yeah. we're going in, we're going into the, you know, and we're, we're, we're breaking the, the, the gates have been broken down and we're going in and rescuing people out of there. Yeah. Right. And this what is an why awesome you... picture, man. Just, Yeah. Know, Hexall Ridge, just one more, Lord. Yeah. <laughs> just one more. You're yeah. going in there and pulling them out of yeah, there, baby. Right. And this is why, truthfully, I, like I said, maybe I think I said this at the beginning of our recording, if not right before we recorded. Truthfully, I don't have an exact plan for applying this in a person's life. But I really think that if you soak in this, if you just bathe, it's an awareness thing. If you just bathe in this theology... There is no way that the awareness of the time does not change you. Right. I mean, There's if, no if way. If a guy that... really thinks he's living in a time of peace and all of a sudden he's awakened to the reality, wait a minute, exactly. I'm at war. Yeah. Changes everything about his life. Yes. Yep. And and a, yeah, debates can be had about whether or not this this ought to be practically applied. This next thing that I'm about to say, but but yeah, if I were to to use your metaphor there, I would say that if a guy was awakened to the fact that he was about to be in a real war, he probably would stop messing around with Twinkies and probably start working out. Yeah. Like, <laughs> there it is. And, there, there's and there, could be, there could be a practical... Like the, yeah, I know, I know Sam, yeah, I know Sam likes dude, to ride that oh, soapbox dude, hard. Dude, I'm telling you, but, I, was, I was mentored by... Can I jump on that just for a moment, please? Yeah. <laughs> we can yeah. Be, it, yeah. Be easy. I, I need to finish. I, would, I need to wrap that point. But Okay, yeah. wrap your point. Well, I'm wrapping the point to say... I'm sorry. ...that if we don't want to apply it literally... That's fine. I'm not the fittest guy in the world, but and and the application though it, of the analogy is clear that it's like, hey, you're in a war. 
and it's granted it's a spiritual one it's it's an ideological one right yeah. right but that means you can't get caught up in civilian affairs like right. you said Paul yeah. commands Timothy yeah, absolutely you, and by civilian affairs yeah are we talking about you know eating bad maybe that's a part of the conversation but but we're really talking about stop wasting your time yeah stop yeah. wasting your time and and we could use we could use different language and specific conversation about how this applies to men and we would say stop being impotent stop letting yourself be made impotent mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and impotent means without power right and and without power in this case would be knowledge of the word of god mm. namely mm -hmm. that's where we're going to start that's where that's where a biblical man would would have to start right would be would be a knowledge of the word of God, yeah. right? This is your sword. Ephesians in, in, chapter in this, six. Well, and this is Second Corinthians ten five. Like yes. the weapons of our warfare, right? This is three through five are not carnal. That's what he says. Yeah. They're not fleshly, right? So then he, what, what's he talking about? Well, we've been given the very knowledge of God, right? Yeah, it's a it's it's like a nuclear weapon. It's it's a weapon I carry. Yep, and it like destroys strongholds. Yeah, right. You know the truth does. It does. It, it yeah. Got the truth from God destroys. And, it. and why? And why this is is because God is truth. Yes. Yes. He is the he very is truth. And I will build truth. my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Think about that. I mean, again, we sometimes miss that, but I'm hoping more right. and more people right. are picking up. It's not a defensive posture; it's offensive. Right. We yeah. go in and destroy the gates, and we go in and take the people that are captive out of there. Yeah. Yeah. What a cool picture, though. But this is what God says is actually happening. Mm -hmm. yeah. So again, that's why I say it's so practical when you get to, you know, Sam and I say, where can we go that people are held in bondage and we, we're willing to try to go in there and take a risk? Yeah. And it's not safe. And yep. it takes a risk, right? Mm -hmm. And yep. we would tell you, like, we get nervous every week. We're going to go down there in the open square in this place and we may get blasted, but doggone it, there's, there's, we yeah. got to go there. Right, yeah. and and, I'll, and yeah. all I wanted to piggyback on is the working out thing. It, it can be misunderstood. Like I had a mentor in, when I went to seminary, Gordon Clank. Okay, was the first guy that ever came on staff with Campus Crusade, first or second. And I remember when he here, came here to Kansas City to see me, and he was getting ready to go to the airport, blah blah blah, I'd take him to a hotel. He wanted to make sure he got to a hotel that had a gym. Yeah, and he was in the '60s when he was spending time with me. This was 30 right. years ago. Just love the man, and you know, you know, we've went different ways because just life is busy, and we'll see each other in heaven. And wonderful guy, but he worked out all the time. Yeah, you know, I remember sixties. You know, he had you know some abs and working out, <laughs> but it wasn't this vain thing for him. Right. He was saying he would always say, even at sixty, oh, if only I had a hundred lives to live. Yeah. Because there were so many things he wanted to engage in in the battle, mm -hmm. and he and he literally said, I want to live to I'm hundred. Yeah. And so he took it serious, like the way yeah. he ate back. This was before CrossFit, before this modern time talking about. This was 30-some years ago. That guy was one fit dude. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a vainness about, oh, I want to look good. Right. I want to hone my body and be in shape. I want to sleep well. I want to eat well because I want to get everything I can out of this while I'm here on this earth because yeah. I only have so many years. Right. Yep. See the perspective? It's, oh, it, yeah. It's just... It, it's. It is, and yeah. I go no, guys. And if I we're think, talking about if we're talking about a, a mindful type fight, an intellectual fight, an ideo ideological right. fight, yeah, back to the whole body thing. Again, we're embodied souls, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the the intellect and the will are what they're called powers of the soul, huh. yeah. And 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 yet, because the soul is embodied, yep, the body affects the powers of the soul. Yeah. So it if your body is it. decrepit and yep. you've been neglecting it, your your 
intellect is not working as it should. Oh, Sam, you guys, you guys know I'm going through a health thing right now, herniated disc in my back, right? Yeah. It's amazing to me how much pain. I've been in a lot of pain. Yeah. Probably one more painful times in my life. And I've had other surgeries and stuff in life, but this has been painful. It's amazing how it affects my emotions. It's amazing how it affects my brain. I can't yeah, think yeah. well. And you may say, well, that makes sense because you're distracted by pain. Well, yeah, but it's all tied together. It's all tied together. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, I just want to get out of this pain so I can kind of do yeah. what I'm supposed to do. Right. Yep. Yeah. And maybe that's the kind of the great place to, if I could kind of tie a bow on, on those elements, okay. to, you know, kind of wrap it, wrap up those things neatly. It would be to say that a lot of this is big and grand theologically and is minute and almost silly practically. Mm. Or it looks the, like these it looks like, yeah, it, it has it the looks appearance like of it. Yeah. minutia. Right. Yeah, and that's but that's it's not yeah. so simple, yeah. but it looks minutia. When yeah. when we read the scriptures and we see this, you know, one one more story I just have to just flip on your head to whoever's listening to this is Exodus, the story of God and and uh, escape, you know, drawing the people up out of Egypt. Yep. Is uh I'm going to reframe that whole story for you right quick in case you <laughs> in case you don't remember this verse because it's only a few words in a verse is in Exodus 12 verse 12. In Exodus 12 verse 12 he says so he's talking about in this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened and the sandals on your feet. So he's talking about the the Man. Passover meal. Yep, a Passover. He's talking about the Passover okay. meal and yep. he's saying you eat it like you're ready to run. Because mm -hmm. you are, mm -hmm. you're, you're going to get gone after this night. Yep. Oh, okay. I yeah. So That's he's good. telling him how That's to do good. it. That's right? good. That's but he good. says, he says, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. Yep. I am the Lord. Yep. Power move. And, <laughs> like and, and, and historically speaking, we know that there was ten gods yes. of Egypt, and that's Bingo. why there was ten plagues, and they yes. were all. Yeah, um, do, do, targeted, go do that study. Yeah, so, yeah, to someone out there. a specific god. So all this is cosmic conflict. Yeah, it is. It's not just arbitrary. Yeah, God. Yes, and this is what if we if we both the Exodus story as well as the conquests. Yeah. If we read them with a naturalistic lens, then I could sympathize with the conclusion that God is some moral monster. I genuinely sure. could. If if you are someone who reads the Bible with a naturalistic lens, you are going to have a very difficult time justifying who this God is in the Old Testament, and therefore who Jesus is. Mm. But now if you read the Old Testament God and you see that he is expelling the gods who were oppressing peoples, mm -hmm. and by oppressing I'm not talking about, you know, doing things opposed to their liking, uh, that we may, you know, use the word oppression today. I'm talking about, you know, people are people are dying. People, people are horrifically oppressed, as in, like, these are real harms against real humans on mass scales, okay? Right. So you read the God of the Old Testament, and his concern was to slay, overthrow, and abolish these demonic entities that ultimately were harming human beings. Now, the human beings at times were, maybe frequently at times, were cooperatively working with the demonic yeah. authorities. Yeah. However, God's God actually was secondarily concerned with any war against people. Every time you read God's war, you know, whether it's Exodus or the Canaanites or whomever, the secondary concern is the human parties caught up in this matter. 
the first and primary concern is the demonic entities that he is opposed to. And by the way, this is even visible at work in the story of David and Goliath. What was Goliath's sin? What, what does David accuse him of? He says, Defying the living you God. have defied the living God. Yeah. Yeah. Right. This was, this was Goliath's great sin that, that David yeah. gets mad at him for is he says, you have defied the living God, by the way, he's of Gath. He's a giant. He comes yeah. from the land of Nephilim things like that. That's a different conversation. But anyway, then you open up. Okay. Let's say you read the old Testament with this God, this cosmic conflict in mind. Yeah. Now you read Jesus. So we go to and your, you, you, say, you said there's three pieces. So, yeah. So yeah. that was the first so piece. So that's the first piece. On it. Now you go to Jesus. Yeah. Now okay. you go to Good. Jesus. Got it. And you say, Number two. Well, I don't have to, I actually don't have to work very long there. Right. Okay. So great. Now God steps onto the scene and he's casting out demons. Okay. How did the demonic, how did these non physical entities come to be? You know, that's a, that's a whole theological rabbit hole that, that I won't go down right now. It's inside of the work of Heiser and I commend it to you to read. But the point being is that now you open up and you see Jesus who is God embodied. And you look at a silly guy like Bart Ehrman saying that nowhere in the synoptics is Jesus claiming to be God and a hundred million other skeptics who say things like that. And all you have to do is look at God making war against than spiritual entities. And, and, and the spirit entities are freaking out. That are freaking out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Well, and why are they freaking yeah. out? This is Yahweh, yeah. the God of Israel, who is making war against crap. them. And they say, oh, crap. Yeah, Yeah, because they know they're about to get put in their place. Now, they don't know how that's going to happen, and this was a mystery hidden from them. It was. And that's so cool when we open up Corinthians, yep. we open up Colossians, we open up Galatians, and this was a great mystery hidden from before all time. Yeah that actually subversively Christ would die as a man so that he would ultimately claim the victory over the powers and the principalities and spike the football in their face and go down into Tartarus and declare his victory even unto the evil spirits. Hades. Read Peter. Re release him. Yeah. Here we go. Go. Get, go get into Enoch. Go get yourself some Second Temple <laughs> literature. <laughs> so anyway. Enoch's you, interesting. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. You, you open this stuff up, and all of a sudden, turns out the Bible is a story that we're caught up in, not written about and for and to us. And and this matters yeah, because... Yeah, we're characters in the story. We are characters crazy? in a story. And, and here's actually me tying the bow neatly around all this. It's to say that when you hear all this, it is a grand epic. Mm, yeah. It is a massive, beautiful, and crazy narrative. Way crazier than Lord of the Rings. Way crazier than yep. Star Wars. Way crazier than you know, pornographic Game of Thrones, you name it. It's crazier than any of them. It's insane. Yeah. However, our involvement in it will look utterly mundane. Yeah. So and I'm convinced so of this, that, that your involvement in this will look like, you know, okay, maybe say, a guy listens to, to Jordan that? Peterson. It'll look like you making your bed. Right. But, but. It looks mundane, looks. but it's significant. I'm using the word "looks" importantly. Right. I want, yeah. All your because and here's yeah, and like, here's wow. how like you get to actually do this, and you don't have to be any special guy that no. And I go. even think about Paul saying in in this present this this present suffering and all this fighting that's going on is, in a sense, is storing yes. up for yourself an eternal weight of glory. Yes. Oh man. Yeah. And that and there you have another Lewis title too. Is yeah this 
this weight of glory, this, yep. this kavod, you know, the yep. Hebrew word, like it's this, it's this glory that's like massive and heavy and like, and you're storing that up for yourself as you what? As you read your scriptures faithfully on a day in and day out basis. I mean, who, who cares? Like as you, t- you know, yeah, take care of your body, maybe, maybe, you know, that's something that you want to emphasize or as you, you know, arrange your finances rightly like yeah. how many men listening well, to this how many even women listening yeah. to this are, have have not arranged their finances well well and i and even you're think... losing a spiritual battle in your life the demonic have a hold over you because you do not have a right handle on your finances right well think about uh paul's rebuke to the thessalonians that were bingo work hard he you know he came there and he worked night and day to yeah be an example to them. Yes. And he, he said a brother that decides to be idle and stay idle, like don't even be seen with them. Nope. Yep. Don't, don't associate with yeah, the, like there uh, is, the busy bodies is right. what he calls them. Yeah. yeah. And Proverbs warns of these men that say that Sat on their hands. Yeah. And they, they won't go out into the streets. They won't go out and work because, Oh, there's, there's danger out there. There's yeah. danger out in the streets. Yeah. I got to stay inside to stay safe. Yeah. yeah. And, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm the one who gets to say these things uniquely because I'm sitting here with you two and you two are, you know, full-time ministers. So it's like, Oh, well, you guys do Christian stuff as your job. So right. it's different for you. No. And it's like, no, nope. nope, I don't do Christian stuff as my job. I, I fortunately, I have this little ministry that I call Numa. It means wind, breath, and spirit in the Greek. And it's like this outdoors kind of retreat for Christian guys in the creative realm. Yeah. That's kind of the essence of it. So these guys who mostly like to use cameras, but you know, they're musicians, they're graphic designers, you know, they're in the creative realms yeah. of arts and things yeah. like that. I take these guys and get them out into the outdoors in the Pacific Northwest. And, and I get to do that a couple times of a year, but that's not the majority of my life. That's not the bulk of my life. Most of my life is sending emails, editing videos, yep. is using yep. my camera, is you know, teaching people on YouTube. Right. It looks about as mundane, ordinarily work as you could probably get. I mean, I'm self-employed, so maybe in that respect, it's like more exciting than nine to five employment potentially. Yeah. But like when I say that this is, that this feels very mundane on a day-to-day basis, and my encouragement to a person listening to this is, your role in the cosmic conflict is a be aware of it. That's seriously a start because yep. most people and we're, just we're aren't. on to your third point right now, right? Yeah, third, we pretty much are. Category. Yeah, you and jump, this is me neatly you, you tying jump the real book quick for a second. Yeah, because I'm. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and and so yeah. because yeah, you got for me, turning right now. No, for me to put are... all the pieces on the table again, I, I would say if you're listening thoughtfully to all of this, if you've put all the pieces on the table you don't need me to tie this up in a bow. You already see it. Yeah. Like the, the puzzle pieces will, will all start to fill themselves yeah. in, especially as you tumble with this. But yeah, the conclusion here would be, what is a person to do today? Right. What are, what are we to do today, right? So we see the God of the Old Testament making war against the gods. Wow, incredible. We see Jesus picking up the baton of Yahweh in the right. Old Testament and and, and he is the victor. He him. is the sovereign one. He's gonna he's gonna kick yes. butt and take names. Yes, he will take kick butt and take names. And now we have his spirit about us that gives us divine power to destroy strongholds. And what are the strongholds of our time? And I kind of started with this. Mm-hmm. It's doctrines of demons, it, yeah. and they are opposed to what the knowledge of God. Right. And what is the knowledge of God? 
simply it's the word of God. And this is where I'm saying to a person listening to this thoughtfully, you don't even have to have me explain all these things to you. I hope the cannons are firing in your head like, oh, this all makes sense. So what is your call today? And it would be go live a mundanely good Christian life. It'll have the appearance of, of weakness, and I assure you it is power. Yeah. It, it is that in 30, 40, 50 years, however long yeah. the Lord gives us, that you would be deemed faithful. Yep. See, that would be that John, would be this big. This, if I was to excite your mind to a grand vision, it would be count the number of leaders who either post mortem or pre mortem have been found to be liars, have been found to be unfaithful, yep. have been found to be adulterers of either the word of God or of their own personal yep. lives, failures, yep. and and then say, my big vision in life is to not be that. Yeah. That's see, a big vision for your life. Oh, John, if you see, just finish the race well, Paul says, yeah, right? So yep. if you only did that in your whole life, yep. that's a pretty good life. And you guys... And you, you guys, contributed oh, to, the, to the war in a really positive way. You got way. me all wild. You know guys you know me. You got me all wired up, dude. You know, I'm the old guy in these guys. Okay, It's my son-in-law, yes, but he's just a friend, and Sam is. And they, these guys know I say this stuff all the time. Like going back, we've talked about this in leadership, listening to Howard Hendricks. I remember listening to him 30 years ago. And he was talking about all these men through the seminary and how many failed, and he was finding only like 10 or 15% yeah. that were still faithful, you know, and they right. fell. And it wasn't always sexual immorality, but in some capacity, they fell. Yep. And it had to do with some loss of something in their life, some chapter they gave up on and didn't stand in the battle, and they got taken out. And he said, if all you do is stay faithful to the Lord and faithful to your wife, he said this, I remember I'm this young leader, late 20s. He says, you're going to find yourself light years ahead of the culture. Mm-hmm. See, we want to look and go, wow, you know, Robbie, Zacharias, or wh- whoever, they're the big shooter. There's the model. And then we find out they fail. Yeah. And I don't know what to make of that. I'm so sad about that. I actually am. I grieve over that. Because, you know, I learned a lot from Robbie. But right. that's not what you have to do. You don't have to be a big pastor and plant 20 churches no. and write three books or whatever. No. You just live a faith, stinking faithful life, right? And the other picture I gave you guys, I was given early by a man that mentored me, and he, I'm sure, again, he got this image from somebody else, and it, you know how it passes around, so I don't know the source of it, but I think it's a great image. These three guys, they're masons. You probably have heard this story. And you mm-hmm. go up to the first guy and say, what are you doing? Well, I'm, I'm laying bricks. Yep. Go up to the second guy, I'm building a wall. Go up to the third guy, doing the same thing as the first two guys, I'm building a castle for my king. Yeah. And that's what I was talking about earlier with the working out, the being faithful, faithful to right. your wife, the made day in, day out, mundane things. Right. I, I, I think it's brilliant. I think uh, Doug Wilson up there in Idaho, they came out with this uh, 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 little film deal, you know, like they do. I mean, I wish it was more accessible to everybody. I know on Canon app you can get it and stuff, but I've showed it to a couple of guys and it's so brilliant. It's 45 minutes. What's he say? Like, 11 Ways to Save the World or something. You guys have to look yeah, up the yeah. title. Look it up quick, Sam, on Google. I mean, I'd love to get Yeah, some ways to save the world. Yeah. yeah you'll, you'll but here's, my, here's the whole point. You watch it, and it's like, oh, <laughs> be faithful to your church. Worship yep. the Lord every week. Read yep. your Bible. I mean, I, mean I, I would tell anybody, watch that 45 minutes. It's, it's actually genius, and it's so simple. Yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah. where I referenced, I referenced earlier Peterson as a naturalistic... You know, he, he does not take a supernatural view of, of those ten rules or whatever. Things, right? But but the point yeah, the, the point that Make I would bed, say right? in his yeah, in his naturalistic worldview is that, you know, 
he's essentially saying live a well-disciplined and faithful life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. don't, you like go. you said, don't lie. Yeah. And that's what I've been wanting to say. Like, yeah, here, have again, yeah. what is this What is this fight that's going on? Yeah. Ideologies, doctrines of demons. Yeah. Uh, you just, have the truth and you have the you have yeah, lies. Just don't lie. Don't lie. And just, and defend the truth. Yeah, and simplicity in your life, though. Let's go to mundane things. Well, just, just just be a person that doesn't lie. Yeah, you have, you have the truth and then you have then you have the conduct that's according to the truth. Yeah, right. Yep. And and if you, you if you have that in your life, if you speak the truth and believe the truth, yeah. and then you live out according to that truth. Yeah. And, 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 and what I'm saying is it's not just doctrinal that we're talking about. Like, just, no, just be a truthful person. Yeah. Right. That's what I'm saying. Just be yeah. honest. The behavior okay? that you accords it, with truth. You blew it, blew it, you sinned. Just be honest. Yeah. Confess. Confess. That's what the scriptures say. Yeah. God and showed up to Adam and said, truth. did you do this? What? In, just speak the truth. Yes, I did. There's God. something about being a mature man who just speaks the truth, even yeah. if you blow it. Yeah. And it's amazing to me how we manipulate, and even in our churches, we're going to dance around stuff and not really tell the truth because we really don't want people upset. It's like, what are you talking Just put it out there. Yeah. If you lose three quarters of your church, you lose three quarters of your right. church. Right. That's not the goal. The goal is to be a truthful man. Yeah. You can hear me. I get pretty adamant about it. Like, yeah. dudes, I just want to be around truthful people. Yeah. yeah. I've blown it in life. I'm the first guy to. I'll tell you that. So can we just all be honest? Right. Think about the tactics of Satan. What's he get Eve to do? Just, oh, well, start to fudge on the truth a little bit. Start to soften it. Start to add things to it. Man, this is us. Yeah. I want to give you another. Can I give you another plug in this? Can I go to a plug real quick? Because I know you're going to have to wrap up at some point unless you make this <laughs> well, two. There's but, no rules. Okay. We well, but hours. you may have to make it two for people or people I'm listening. pretty sure... Um, you know Lex Friedman? He's one of the most famous podcasters out there. Oh, I don't know. One of his podcasts, I think, went... I can't remember. It was it was an absurd. Many hours. Okay. So here's what I want to I want to just say a plug that's really fascinating to me. And I hope when people hear this and, and you're going to get this is going to sound like an advertisement, but it sort of is. Okay. Okay. So this is what's fascinating to me. So John goes into this world like he had invited me to meet with some of his friends and yeah. we went through some of this biblical masculine just let's look at the scriptures and unpack this over 4 or 5 6 weeks. We did some stuff during COVID and everything with a group some groups of guys. And he caught this vision, and he was learning on his own this wonderful construct that he gave us today. And so he took it into the context of saying, hey, I'm going to go have some retreat with guys in this beautiful place in the Northwest. You know, he and my daughter like going out for photography in Oregon and those crazy mm -hmm. places out there, <laughs> which are beautiful, are. right? And there's such, yeah, that's a whole story in itself, but it's interesting. And you're going to take guys that are, you've already said, these creative guys, and do a quote-unquote retreat with men, yep. a handful of men, but you're going to build this is the content into spending time with guys in the context of this beautiful place and talking about photography and blah, blah, blah. And Sam, it's what we've done with hunting retreats. Yeah. Right? I know. Same yeah. thing. It's the same thing. It's yeah. just the same thing, a different context. But you take this. It's the thing I'm doing at my home. So here's my plug-in advertisement. Anybody listen to this, like, you want to do a men's retreat at your church or you want to get a bunch of guys together, call up John, Sam, and I. Dudes, like, this would be so much fun. To literally mm -hmm. do a Friday night and a Saturday in you know four or five sessions and unpack all of this, mm -hmm. yeah, and let us just talk about it just mm -hmm. like we're doing here, and and give you know some talks. So it's my advertisement because I think, <laughs> I just think, it would it would just it would be use such, us please. <laughs> it would be a powerful thing. I really yeah, do. And I it's not so. because we're special, but because we you know God's given us some insight in this. It's the knowledge of God. Well, I do we, think I think about this, and, and our hearts beat fast. And we do, yeah. you can tell us talking about it. We get jazzed up about this. Yeah. Like, 
dude, you guys get get a big meal together, put something together, and it could be anything. It could be creative. It could just be sitting in a church. It could be at a conference center. It could be a hunting thing. You guys, our men need this. I have these young guys that are meeting with me on Tuesdays who are biblical, theological men, young men. They really are. They're, for young guys, really, you would be surprised how well thought of they are of Bible and theology. They've got all that. Yeah. Not that you can't learn in that, but they got that. But they would say that they've been in these settings in the evangelical church you know, at the ages of 22, 23, 26, one of them went to a Christian, a couple of them went to Christian schools. They've never done this stuff. They've never had these conversations about working hard and about being men, and it's actually a conflict. And they've never heard it framed this way. Obviously, they know they're not supposed to be sexually perverse, and they're not. everybody wants to talk about pornography. But it never gets couched in the frame is, do you guys understand what pornography is? Right. It, it, it is a... A tactic of the enemy. It's a tactic. It's, it's, it's actually demonic to take you out. Yeah. And you guys have experienced the feeling of being taken out. Yeah. Guess what? It's real. It's real. Yeah. See what I mean? But they've never heard it in that context. Right. And when they do, all of a sudden they light up. Yeah. And I got these guys going, nobody's ever done this. This is the greatest thing I've ever been part of. I'm like, yeah. And that's where I like to say that We just it need takes, to do this. It takes the, the black and white nature of, you know, things like biblical manhood and any of the rah-rah sorts of calls. And it it puts color in them. Yeah. Right. It it doesn't it doesn't change anything right. actually. In one sense, like structurally and yeah. in, integrally. Structurally, yeah. It doesn't change anything. You're you're still I could still open and expound the word of God to you about what it means to grow up and become a man. Like what does that what does that mean yeah. according to the principles of scriptures? What does that mean? I could just do that. Mm-hmm. I could just do that. And it would be a faithful teaching of the text. Yep. And I, but I think the way I've thought about this, and this is what happened in my own world, was that I had that, and it, it lacked a power. It lacked it lacked an explplanatory like reality. Yeah, I was saying that. Yeah, I'm not stuff, saying right? that word. I'm not saying that word. There's a context. I don't want to be the creative sucker guy who's like, oh, here he is talking about stories. But, well, man, it's but, true. But it is. You you need to be caught up into a story because you 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 are a creature who will build a narrative in your world. Yep. You do this. This, this is, is a thing it, you do. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not yep. positing an idea. I'm stating a fact that you build narratives about the world in which you live. Yep. You need to catch yourself up, therefore, into a true narrative and a very full one. And this is the cosmic conflict. And you so, know, you know, we were doing this as a family. And again, we brought this up in other podcasts. So if it sounds redundant, I'm sure it probably is. But it only struck me this fall to the degree it struck me. Maybe it's like a dimmer switch. It struck me before, but it's been getting cranked up. So my wife and I live out in the country. We've talked about this. And um, we have this home. And I've always been attracted to Labrie. You know, the Labrie yeah. idea. But I don't live in a beautiful Switzerland place. I live in Kansas. No, it has a beauty for people, but it's not the Rocky Mountains at the back door <laughs> or whatever, right? But we moved here, and there's a long context story behind that. We raised five kids. But we fundamentally bought a six-acre farm field. Farm field. Yeah. It was, un- it was pasture. It was nothing. Hardly a tree on it. Right. And this is 28 years later. Yeah. And you walk around. And there's this barn I just built, and there's this greenhouse, and there's this mature beauty, trees. Mature trees. I mean, there are huge maple trees that are, you know, 40 foot tall. A rock huge. line creek. Oh, yeah. I mean, you've been there, Sam, and, you know, a place for shooting rifles and a place for, sh- I mean, it is it, it's this developed place. 
big old uh, white fence that you built with your son-in-law, John. John came over, <laughs> vinyl fence. I bought, got all the posts and people Off would die. I said, oh, yeah, it's the life, my story of my life. I didn't have much money, so I was always like, Lord, I'd love to build That's a beautiful white fence. Yeah. <laughs> I find all the posts for 250 bucks. I literally did. People would die. That I, I built like a four or $5,000 fence for like eight or $900, you know. Yep. Like, story of my life. But it's this place. So my wife was working out in the garden. We have a, like a hobby flower farm that really is about connecting to women and people. It's the beauty of ground, but it's more than just, oh, we're just doing this to do it. It's building the castle to my king idea. Yeah. And that's how we see life. But she was out there in the garden a few weeks back when you guys know Ben and Derek and the guys were walking around the yard. And I got a walking cooler I designed and built and I, all this stuff. I mean, it's just, the, it's all developed. Yeah. And she said, I was out in the garden listening to them. And she said, they were so ooing and on. Like, oh, oh, oh. And, and, and I don't know if that comes off on the podcast, but you know what I mean? They're making all these ex, ex, expressions. These, these guys were. But these guys were. And see, guys, I, I'm able to, in this little microcosm, show, we're sitting there on my deck eating food saying, guys, do you realize when I came here, this was just an open field pasture? Yep. And for the sake of the glory of God, something we totally enjoy, it's been just you know, times we wonder if we could pay bills, but here we are in this whole place. It took 28 years, longer than any of you are alive, but we are leaving this behind. We did, we did this thing. Yeah. We built this thing. Yeah. With the context of ministering, connecting to family and people. And I can't tell you, literally, probably numbers of thousand, a few thousand people who've been through this property. Yeah. Right? And I'm yeah. just saying, and so. You're, so what my point is, is to help these guys get a vision, this can be your life. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean building a farm. That may not be the least of your interest. But you get a chance in this lifetime at an early 20-some-year-old man in the middle of this conflict to make a huge den in this sucker, mm -hmm. to plant yourself, to drop a bomb, yep. yeah. to take captives or rescue people out of the dominion of darkness. Yeah, this is awesome, dude. Yeah, you can use your monies. We had a guy, you know, the guy I won't mention tonight, but he does. He has a propensity towards business and entrepreneurially. He wants to make money. Yeah, Good. and he probably will. It's got the seed in his heart, and it's not wrong. Right. That's what's weird. It's like, no, he's not making money because he wants to buy a bunch of toys. Like, he's the kind of guy that's probably going to really do well, and he's going to give tons of money to the mission. Yep. So the battle can go on. What needs to be financed? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> what a what a dream! And I just want to throw gasoline on that guy's fire. Yeah. No, you don't need to go. You know, if God calls you to be a pastor, but you don't need to do that. You don't need to go join a ministry. You need to go develop your business and get social capital. Right. And rise up in a society, in a civil society, and just live your life faithfully with the church. And he'll probably be an elder in the church. He'll probably make tons of money. I can see it right now. He really will. And have a huge impact. Yep. So. Well. And it will look as mundane as some honest business transactions. <laughs> there you go. Right. Yeah, well, and he will be making war yep. against the powers yep. and the principalities and the, the guy that's pounding nails and a rough, rough carpenter in a house. Yep, yep, same thing. Yep. Well, we're over an hour and forty-five. That's pretty good. Ouch. Wow. Um, but so, so take your time. So you have, you my, have a wrapping conclusion. Yeah, like, my wrapping conclusion here, truthfully, is is that you, you, the listener, so that we don't have to labor you any longer, would go and read. Reread with with this your new mind, <laughs> you know, with this new paradigm at yeah, work yeah, in your lens, head, yep. you know, go and reread Ephesians six, that famous spiritual warfare yeah, yeah. thing. Go and reread that because I think it'll be colored a bit differently through this conversation. Yeah. 
and then go read First Corinthians chapter two, and then go read the whole Old Testament, and then go read the whole Old Testament. <laughs> well, can, no, Sam, really, Sam, can you you're... take a number of these verses? Because there's a bunch more verses I'm yeah, thinking I about. Yeah, I put them in the show. Just notes. make a list and put them in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. people could go have their own little right. emotional yeah. study of some but key passages. Particularly right? okay. Ephesians six, of course, is the big one that we all yeah. think of spiritual warfare. But I encourage you. You know, First Corinthians two is another big one that I love and I think of in spiritual war. There's a couple but, of Galatians. But I, Galatians I would actually just say, yep. after listening to this, or maybe sometime in the coming weeks, crack open your Bible. Maybe it's in the New Testament. Maybe it's in the Old Testament. But I assure you, no matter where you dip in, look for these themes. Look yep. for the reclaiming of the nations. Look for the powers and the principalities that we make war against. Look for the people that God is fighting against in the Old Testament. Why is he having them fight? Like, who is God actually making war against? What is really the concern of the scriptures? And then catch yourself up in that vision. So that would kind of be my final, like, exhortation, I suppose. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's great. Well, thanks again for listening to the Breach and Persuade podcast. If you enjoy these episodes, you enjoy this podcast. Uh, again, Dan and I, we're not marketing whizzes. We're <laughs> so no. bad at that. Don't even really feel like I have time to do any type of we marketing. We actually feel weird about it. I, like what I, yeah, I, I feel weird And about I said it. earlier, like we really would love to come anywhere in the country and come and speak to a bunch of guys. About yeah, this. Yeah, so yeah. We would do this every day. Yeah, totally. Um, but we feel so weird, so you, weird about it. you cool. the listener, could help us out by just sharing this with friends. Yeah. Uh, if you enjoy an episode, send it, text it to a friend. Say, hey, check this out. Yep. Uh, what do you think about this? That'd be really great. That'd really help us out. Leave a rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you know, write a review or whatever you want to do. Um, you can check out our, our ministry website too, afci.us. Read our bios. Um, you know, read about why we're at kind of a unique, distinct ministry. But again, just thanks for listening and have a great rest of your day. Bye.